You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. As is our custom, we are going to read all of chapter 27. So turn with me. If you're able to remain standing to Genesis chapter 27. And these are uh, some longer chapters, so if you need to sit down for any reason, please feel free. It's our desire to now stand under God's word and not over it, but have his word instruct us, challenge us, and shape us. So hear God's word from Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then make your weapons. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself And not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. Verse 14 So he went and he took them and brought them over to his brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. When Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son and the skins of the younger goat. She put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you? My son, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found food, found it so quickly, my son? He said, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him. 
because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? Verse 24. He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He had also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father father Isaac said to him, who are you? He said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high by your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and say to him a while, 
Stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, want, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? This is God's holy word. Please be seated. We are continuing in our study of the book of Genesis this morning. And as we have read, we come to now chapter 27 in this great and glorious narrative of Scripture. After just one chapter break from the whole Jacob and Esau feud, after one chapter break, Moses, our author, now picks up this rivalry between Jacob and Esau again, these two twin brothers. We finished our time last week marveling at the kindness and nearness of God and his grace toward Isaac as he blesses Isaac with great wealth and possession despite Isaac's obvious failings and misgivings. Now, this blessing of wealth from God to Isaac was in no way a sign of God condoning Isaac's behavior. But instead, this wealth from God was further evidence of God's commitment to his own people. That despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. That God would continue to bless his people. He would continue to make them a nation that would bless all the nations of the earth. And now in our text this morning, we find Isaac well advanced in years. He's going blind and he is about to die. In fact, he knows that he's about to die and there's a certain amount of urgency in the patriarch to have some final things done before he passes. And what should be the final crowning moments of his life, this sort of golden era of his life, what should have been a time reflecting on a life well lived. Instead, chapter 27 chronicles a disorienting, disraveling, unraveling of a family. All of Isaac's failures to lead and his sins come back to haunt him in his final moments. Isaac in this moment is sitting on a mountain of perceived success. He has servants, he has herds, he has now wells of water that supply life for his family. From the outside, Isaac is sitting on a mountain of success. Yet, the reality is his family is falling apart. Our brother Cliff Ellis is keen on saying that conflict doesn't age well. Conflict doesn't age well. It doesn't have a long shelf life. And chapter 27 is proof positive that conflict doesn't age well. Even if you try to just put it under the rug, you try to press it down, it doesn't age well and it will come back eventually. 
See, Isaac knew that God had selected Jacob and not Esau. Isaac was there when God gave a sovereign decree that the older would serve the younger before these two brothers were ever born. Isaac heard that decree over his sons and he did not like it. He wanted Esau to be the chosen. He wanted Esau to be the blessed son of God. But Jacob was to be the son through whom the promise would continue. But Isaac continued, despite God's sovereign decree, Isaac continued to sweep his partiality under the rug and he became remarkably passive in his leadership, thinking that problems will just work themselves out. But the conflict festered. And it festered. And now all of it comes to a head right before his death. So chapter 27 details the tragic unraveling of a family and the purposes of God in all of it. Three movements in our text this morning. Very simply, a sinful plan followed by a successful performance that led to a blistering fallout. A sinful plan followed by a successful performance which ends in a blistering fallout. And may God give us ears to hear what God is saying to his people. First, a sinful plan. Now, we're not going to go through every verse, but we're going to highlight these different vignettes under these headings and get the understanding from it. But first, a sinful plan. Look at verses 1 and following one more time. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, behold, I am old and I, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, verse 3, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now stop there for just a moment. Right off of the bat, we are confronted with very troubling dysfunction. Isaac was ruled by earthly pleasure. And Esau, because he was a skillful hunter, he could hunt wild game. Esau became the apple of Isaac's eye. Another way to say this is, the way to Isaac's heart is through his stomach. And so it wasn't because Esau was his firstborn son or that he loved his character, he loved his heart. No, he preferred Esau because Esau could satisfy earthly craving. And so he hinges the patriarchal blessing on if Esau can provide one last savory meal. If you bring me one last savory meal, then I will give you my patriarchal blessing. I'll give you my paternal blessing. 
And this is all tragic as Gordon Windham writes in his commentary. In this moment, we realize that Isaac's personal enjoyment is more powerful than his theology. His personal craving for one more savory meal erases what he knows to be true about God. The patriarchal blessing, you might be thinking, well, that's not really a big deal. Well, the patriarchal blessing is a massive deal in the ancient East. It wasn't as if Isaac wanted to simply pull his son aside and give him some low-key encouragements before he passes. That's not the patriarchal blessing. Instead, the, the patriarchal blessing was for the possessions that the offspring would obtain above and beyond the current possessions. Remember, Jacob had already swindled Esau out of his birthright. And the birthright would have given Jacob the right to all of the current possessions of Isaac. But the blessing, the patriarchal blessing, would secure for Esau, had this plan worked, all of the above and beyond blessing and acquisition of the family. And so this is Isaac's workaround. Isaac did not like that Jacob was chosen and not Esau. He preferred Esau. And so now the patriarch, this is his work around the whole birthright problem. But unbeknownst to Isaac and Esau, mom is eavesdropping on the conversation. A commentator brought this to light. Think about the tents that would have been situated there. It would have been fairly easy to, to listen in on a conversation, particularly if you have an aging father who's, who's losing his eyesight and probably talking much louder than is necessary. And he's talking to his son Esau and Rebecca is around the corner eavesdropping on the whole thing. So this, it just, it, this is about as bright as it gets. It just keeps getting darker and darker in this story. Look at verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her other son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, it's bad enough that Rebecca is eavesdropping on this conversation. That's already dishonest and slimy. Not only it's bad enough that she's eavesdropping, but she also adds a bit of urgency to the problem or to the situation. Notice that she adds before the Lord in verse 7. She's recording what Isaac said, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you. And then Rebecca adds before the Lord, but, or rather, yeah, she adds before the Lord, but Isaac never said before the Lord. So there Rebecca again is now trying, not only is she eavesdropping, but she's also trying to create more urgency, more urgency. He's going to bless Esau before the Lord. This is a patriarchal blessing. This is an oath before the Lord. And so, Rebecca fuels the fire and the urgency. Now, before we move forward, here's a question we have to ask. Why is Rebecca so adamant that Esau not receive this blessing? Why? 
Why is she so upset at her firstborn son? Why is she so adamant? Well, some have suggested that Rebecca wants so bad to be faithful to God's original promise to bless Jacob. She just wants to be faithful to God's promise so much so that she's willing to lie in order to make sure that God's promises are kept. While I appreciate the optimism in this interpretation, I think it is far-fetched. We already know Rebecca prefers Jacob. Isaac preferred Esau. Rebecca preferred Jacob, which is also a cardinal sin in parenting multiple children, choosing favorites. But also Rebecca, listen, is furious with Esau in this moment. She's furious with him. Because after the whole birthright situation in chapter 25, Esau, we learned, goes to the, actually, you can actually turn there, look at uh, Genesis chapter 26, look at verses 34 and 35. This is after Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So Rebekah is furious with Esau for marrying two Hittite women and bringing them into the family line. And so furious is she that she hatches this sinful plan to prepare a meal for her blind husband and insert her favorite son in the place of Esau so that Jacob will receive the patriarchal blessing and not Esau. But wait, somebody has a hesitation with the plan. Thanks be to God, right? Somebody's going to say, wait a minute, I have a hesitation. And that person is Jacob. He has a hesitation with the whole plan. But unfortunately, his hesitation is not with the plan itself, but instead Jacob sees a vulnerability with the plan. He sees a loophole. He sees a weak spot with this whole plot to, to overrun the blessing. And look at verse 11 now. But, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. There's his hesitation. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. If that's a problem for you, if you get cursed, just give it to me. I'll take your curse. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. Look at verse 14. So he went and he took and he brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments, notice that, the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Now this is a perfect Halloween text. Many of us are gonna get dressed up tonight in a costume. And I thought this is really unique that I, we didn't choose this. This is, we are not that far out in advance on how to plan sermons, but here we have the first ever costume that is provided a biblical character. And so Jacob puts on the best of Esau. 
And then verse 16, in the skins of the young goat, she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. It's a full costume. It's a performance. Verse verse 17, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. If you came to church this morning, perhaps a little discouraged at the dysfunction of your own family, be encouraged. Because unless your mom is trying to swindle her firstborn polygamous son out of his father's blessing by deceiving her blind husband, who is also a remarkable failure and passive, and she uses the younger son to do the deceiving, and by the way, the younger son is all on board for the whole thing, that unless that is your case, despite your current family dysfunction, it could always be worse. It could always be worse. So a sinful plan is hatched. A sinful plan. Rebecca and Jacob. It's followed by a successful performance. A successful performance. Not surprisingly, Jacob, the deceiver, pulls off the whole thing. He pulls it off just swimmingly. Even when his father pulls him in tight, the costume holds. The plan to have the goat skin works. When Isaac, the father, questions the timing of the meal, Jacob, without skipping a beat, says, The Lord granted me access. One lie bleeds into the next and bleeds into the next and bleeds into the next. Now he's invoking the name of God. God blessed my hunt. That's why this all worked out so well. And no doubt in the back of Rebecca and Jacob's mind is this thought that the ends justifies the means. After all, Jacob was to be the chosen one. Rebecca heard that decree from God. Jacob was to be the chosen one. He was supposed to receive the paternal blessing. They were simply helping God along because Isaac was prepared to bless the wrong child. So the ends justify the means. Well, this may have been a successful performance before a blind earthly father but they failed miserably before their father in heaven who sees everything. They successfully manipulated Isaac, but they grieved the heart of God. God, beloved, is never pleased. Here's our first point of application. God is never pleased when we employ dishonest means, even if we see the ends as honorable and noble. This is true of Rebecca, this is true of Jacob, and this is true of us. And by the way, this is true of the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago. Here's our Reformation reference. We're going to build a church unto the Lord, Peter's Basilica. It's going to be glorious and the nations will see it as evidence of God's grace to preserve his people. We need to build this cathedral, a good and right and noble goal. But as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory 
springs. Let's tell the people that if they give a little bit more, they can spring loved ones out of purgatory. Deceitful, sinful means to accomplish a noble goal. And God is not pleased of it in Genesis 26. He wasn't pleased of it in the time of the Reformation and he is not pleased of it today. So that's what's going on with Rebecca and Jacob. They're deceived. They're all wrapped up in this lie and they can hardly see straight. That's what's going on in Rebecca and Jacob. What about the perspective of Isaac, the patriarch, the father? What's going on in his heart and mind? See, Isaac thought that he was the one in control. He, he thought he could choose which child would receive the blessing and which wouldn't. He was blinded in more ways than one. Isaac was blinded by his own ego and he thought he could usurp the divine call of God and with his own decree as the patriarch, he would bless Esau and not Jacob. He believed his own clippings and his ego was driving his ambition. But in the end, he blesses Jacob without even knowing it. Look at verse 26 and following. And his father Isaac said to him, come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And he said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. It pleased his father. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth in plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the irony is for the reader. We know he's actually blessing Jacob, but he thinks he's blessing Esau. And he gives them a full, irrevocable, paternal blessing. May your brothers bow down to you. May your mother's sons kneel before you. Let's reflect just a moment on, on what we're learning. Whether we are deceiving like Rebecca and Jacob or whether we think we are in control like Isaac, one irrevocable, remarkable conclusion is that God's purposes will never be thwarted. No pride no manipulation, no deceit, no cover-up, no human schemes. Nothing can deter the divine plans of God. Anything we do and everything we do is simply a part of God's symphony of providence. I'm going to say that sentence again because it's, it needs to land on us. Anything we do and everything we do is simply a plan of God's sovereign providence. 
Now, that in no way excuses Rebecca and Jacob and Isaac or us from our responsibility for our sinful actions, but it should humble us tremendously. God will always have his way, no matter what. Nothing in heaven or on earth can subvert the will of God. We can deceive our fellow man. We can deceive our earthly fathers. We can even deceive ourselves. We can manipulate our way to perceived success. We can pretend all our lives. But in the end, God's sovereign prerogative will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the question for us this morning, before we move forward, is really simple. It's a simple question, but it has a lot of implications. Will we right now bend our knee to God's sovereign will, which cannot be thwarted or subverted or manipulated? Or will we keep pretending that we can manipulate outcomes and advance our agendas? And my hope for you and my hope for me is that we would be liberated from pretending. I don't know if there's anything more exhausting than pretending to be someone or something you're not. So there was a sinful plan. It was followed by a successful performance. But now all of this leads to a blistering fallout. Look at verse 30 now and following. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So they just miss each other. Jacob probably just missed losing his life by a few minutes. Verse 31. He, that is Esau, also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then verse 33, Isaac trembled very violently. He was, he was convulsing and shaking. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate before you and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac knew that he gave an irrevocable paternal blessing to whoever it was that gave him food. He shall be blessed. Isaac's plan was to subvert the will of God and bless Esau. And this plan in a moment comes crashing down. His sweet vision of Esau receiving the paternal blessing had turned bitter in his stomach and he is convulsing in fear and turmoil and despair. His blessing given to Jacob is an irrevocable blessing and it's too much to bear. Verse 
And if Isaac convulsed with fear and trembling, then Esau convulsed with blistering anger. Notice in verse 34, as, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. This is, it doesn't get more detailed in the Hebrew as to what is overcoming Esau in this moment. He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh my father. In this moment, Esau is seeing both his birthright and now his blessing pass before his very eyes. Both Isaac and Esau are humiliated before God. One convulsing and trembling in fear and one convulsing and trembling with anger. Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, bless me. But it was too late. The paternal oath had already been given. The ceremonial blessing was irrevocable. All that was left for Esau was an anti-blessing. Look at verse 38. Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. He's begging Isaac. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. Here's the anti-blessing. And away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. That's what I have for you, Esau. Look at verse 41. Here's the effect. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching. My dad is about to pass. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When all of the niceties of the funeral are past and we have remembered and we've reflected on our father, Isaac, when that is done, I am going to kill my brother. But, verse 42, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So Rebekah is not only eavesdropping, but she also has employed busybodies to also eavesdrop just in case her her all-hearing ears miss something. She's got servants to listen in. And one of the servants reports back to Rebecca, guess what? Esau is hopping mad and he is going to kill Jacob as soon as the funeral is over. Now, therefore, verse 34, my son, Rebecca says, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, go to my in-laws in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. As I reflected on this chapter, it's hard to see any outcome of this dysfunction as anything other 
than despairing. I think of that phrase, dumpster fire. Have you, have you heard that? That's really nauseating to think of trash that, that just keeps burning itself over and over and over again. And that's sort of the feeling I get in my gut after you look at the, the disordered, dysfunction, sinful layers in Genesis 27. Nobody looks good here. We have polygamy, we have betrayal, we have pretension, we have manipulation, we have straight out lying, we have pride trying to usurp the authority of God. Nobody looks good here. So the question as we look at a very disorienting text, the question for us as we close is what is our lesson for today? Don't be a deceiver like Jacob and Rebecca. Don't be prideful like Isaac, the father, thinking you can usurp the will of God with your sovereign decrees. Maybe we learn that our families are not as messed up as they could be, so we leave here a little bit encouraged. All of that is certainly true, but there's more going on here. As Kent Hughes writes, listen, quote, in and above this story is something of immense beauty and grandeur. He writes, the invincible determination of God to keep his word despite the prevailing unbelief and unfaithfulness of his people. End quote. We have not only picked this out and noticed this in Genesis 27, we've been seeing this since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. That God is faithful to his promises and he's patient with his people. And this truth has been crystal clear throughout our time in Genesis. God is on mission. He is a missional God. He is on mission to save his people and nothing will stand in his way. Nothing, no king or kingdom, no human ambition, no human cunning or wisdom. Nothing will stand in the way of God to rescue his people. He is a God on mission and he will remove mountains and seas and deceivers in order to accomplish his means of rescue. And listen, as dysfunctional and as disordered as this chapter has been, it has also prepared us to understand more clearly the divine scandal of grace. In other words, this chapter points us right at the unbelievable love of God in Christ for manipulators and deceivers like us. We've said this the last couple of weeks. Who can we identify with? I want to be like Abraham, but then he sells his wife out twice. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Isaac, but I don't want to be a passive, prideful, blind guy. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Jacob, but I don't want to be a deceiver. Like who, who do we identify with? The manipulators, the deceivers, and the prideful. That's who we are in this text. Oh, But this chapter 
points us right at the unbelievable love of God in Christ for sinners like us. Calvin writes in his commentary, Jacob, the younger brother, was blessed under the person of the elder son. Listen, the clothes that were borrowed from his brother smelled of a field that pleased his father. And here Calvin quotes another. He says, in the same way, we are blessed. When in the name of Christ, we enter the presence of our heavenly father, we receive from him, Jesus, our older brother, the robe of righteousness, which by its odor obtains God's favor. We are blessed in this way when we are put in Jacob's place. Friends, beloved visitors, here is the mystery and the glory of the gospel. The Bible teaches that we cannot earn robes of righteousness through external behavior. In other words, we cannot earn a garment that will please our father. It will still have the stench of disobedience. Because God does not require that we are decent in his presence. God requires that we are holy and perfect in his presence. So our best efforts to earn a robe of righteousness fall remarkably short of what is required to be in the presence of our heavenly father. Nor can we borrow or steal somebody else's robes of righteousness. We cannot cling to our grandmothers who were faithful or our uncles who were faithful or somebody in here that you're friends with. We cannot lay a hold of somebody else's righteousness and wear it for ourselves. So we can't earn the garments and we can't steal them. The only option left is for someone to give them to us as a gift. But again, the standard is perfection. No man can ransom another. Again, we can't be decent in God's presence. We must be holy. I cannot lay a hold of Mitch's or Desmond's robe of righteousness, their moral conduct, and wear it as my own. No man can ransom another. And so enters now the hope of the Christian gospel that through faith, we who are just as unworthy as Jacob become clothed in the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. And the odor of his garments is a sweet smelling aroma to his father. God, the father loves the aroma of Christ's garments. Jesus gave himself for us that we might receive the paternal blessing, not from some earthly father, but the paternal blessing of God almighty. The point is, I think, we don't need to pretend any longer. We don't need to pretend that we're someone we're not or something that we're not. But instead, along with Paul the Apostle, we could say before God and man, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me was not in vain. Do you realize how free it is to not have to pretend any longer to be something or someone you're not? The gospel is the only thing, the only medicine in the world that frees us from pretension and faking of putting up this facade of of who we want people to see that we are versus what we actually are. We don't need a facade. We need the robes of Christ to cover us. The only way to be better is to be made whole through Christ. And our inclination, we will either move towards pride or manipulation, which are con- they're connected in their roots. We will try to think that we can produce outcomes by our sovereign decrees, right? We just, we're American, darn it, right? We can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do this thing. No, well, you may be American, but that's not how the Bible teaches us. We cannot produce our own outcomes, We'll either be on this end or we'll be on the end of manipulation and pretension. I'll just manipulate this perception of me. The gospel says you don't have to live in that prison anymore. You can take off the costume and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We gave Christ the garments of sin, ego, deceit, And he gave us the garment of forgiveness. On the cross, God the Father gave Christ the curse of Esau, but he gave us the blessing of his chosen son. We gave Christ the garments of guilt and shame, and he gave us the glory of his obedience. We gave Christ the aroma of death, and he has given us the aroma of life. And so we exult and praise alongside the prophet Isaiah, when he writes, I will gladly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So may we, as we close, may we marvel at the invincible determination of God to accomplish his perfect means despite our failures. And may we repent of any and all attempts to usurp the will of God through our own pretending and pride. And above all, may we praise God forever that on account of no merit of our own, God has covered us with the righteous robes of Jesus Christ and it pleased his Father.